The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Provoke Podcast. This is Arun Sudhaman uh, in Hong Kong, as always, and I'm joined on Zoom from Australia. It's Vuki Vujasinovic who is the founder and CEO of Australian agency Sling and Stone. Vuki, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing uh, these days in these continued strange times? I'm doing great. Times are not as strange here in Australia. We're very fortunate. Um, you know, we are um, doing pretty well with the pandemic. The economy is recovering really well. Um, generally a, a fairly upbeat uh, tone in the country. So we're doing well here. We're a global agency, so offices in New Zealand and the US and obviously things are different everywhere. But um, here in Sydney and in Australia, things are good. Mm. So Vuki, let's talk a little bit about um, your firm. As you mentioned, uh, your headquarters is in Australia, but you have offices in New Zealand and LA. Yeah. Sling and Stone is a decade old now. Is yeah, that right? we turned or... ten in September last year. A weird time to okay. celebrate a big, um, a big milestone birthday like that. It was a bit, uh, you know, not quite as exciting a, a party as I had probably planned a few years ago. But <laughs> I can imagine. Um, and yet, despite the pandemic, twenty twenty actually turned out to be quite a good year for Sling and Stone. It did, yeah, yeah. Okay, and and to what do you attribute that? I probably attribute it to a couple of things. Um, if I'm being super humble, I attribute it to luck and um, and kind of choosing the right, picking our lane and choosing the right focus area as far back as 10 years ago. Um, as you know, we're a pretty picky and focused agency. We do a certain type of, well, we do a broad range of work for a certain type of client and we will only work with disruptors, challenges and um you know, disruptive tech companies and high growth businesses that are changing and shaking up their industries. And for us, that means not working with, um, you know, making the tough decisions to not work with as interesting as they might be, um, the kind of incumbents in industries. And um, that that type of focus for us, um, I didn't quite realize this at the start of the pandemic, but pretty quickly, a month or two in, um, you know, the investing world and the media and everyone kind of uh, had had, I guess, collectively decided these types of companies were the ones that are worth paying attention to. And, um, you know, disruptive companies that were shaking up industries turned out to be company, you know, accelerating change turned out to be a good area to be in. So one was the decision, you know, we made 10 years ago in 2010 to, to pick this type of client and, and focus all our agency's efforts on that. Um, and the rest is, you know, hard work. We have a team of 60 slingers now across three offices. And there's no doubt, like everyone that um, you know, we, we worked our behinds off. Every, everyone has bunkered down, um, I'm sure, in all agencies. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, a coasting year for anyone, you know, <laughs> like it was a lot of hard work. Mm. So um, being in the right place at the right time and combined with some, um, some you know, great work ethic and passion um, has put us in the right place. And, and yeah, like I just think the, the types of clients we work with are the types of companies that did well through this. I don't, I don't wish the pandemic or the associated recession upon the world or upon anyone. I'm not glad it happened, um, but mm. you know we have clients that their their market cap quadrupled or quintupled in the last 12 months. You know that's mm. that's unexpected. Wouldn't have picked it this time last year. Probably no one would have. Um, but you know it's a fortunate position to be in. 
Does that mean you work with a lot of startups? Is that still the case? Yeah, some some um, some startups for sure. Some some established companies. We have great clients like Uber, Twitter, Google Cloud. You know, on the big end of town. Mm. Um, but definitely some early stage companies, and um, mm. and they are starting in droves. You know, there's I, I started the business out at, sort of out of the shadows of the GFC, and um, there was a wave of innovation then. You know, there were there were a lot of issues going on in the world, but entrepreneurs were. We're giving it, giving it a crack and starting new businesses, and there were a lot of early stage companies that, in 2010, as a you know one man band and then a very small agency at the time, I was able to take on because, frankly, the big agencies just couldn't. Um, they were too small. These companies and and that stayed with us. It's in our blood and in our DNA. And that um, you know having the agility and the speed that those really early stage, high growth businesses need is is something that's you know near and dear to us and. That is, we're seeing that accelerate, um, both in terms of entrepreneurs starting businesses and venture capital flowing into it. Um, there's mm. in Australia alone, the top three VCs have, you know, several billion dollars to play with at the moment. So there's a lot of money in VC, and it's going towards great ideas. Mm. You talked about the companies that have prospered during the pandemic. Um, is there something that they have in common in terms of the? types of businesses they have, the types of products or services that they're providing? I think the thing that would be in common is that they are not built on legacy rails or legacy systems. They tend to be, if you're looking at retail, they'll be leaning towards e-commerce for sure. If you are talking a consumer brand, they might be direct to consumer rather than kind of going through traditional channels. If you talk about uh, like financial services, they're fintech companies that are building their own mm. new distribution system. So they will all tend towards a digital um, distribution system, often where mm. you know where, where appropriate. And um, and I think that has obviously been a good move for them. Um, it was always a good move for them, but um, the pandemic certainly accelerated that with people stuck in phone uh, in homes or stuck mm. on their phones or you know whatever it might be. Um, you know, we had some great uh, health tech clients that we picked up last year and telehealth and other, you know, health innovations that were always going to come, but they might have previously taken five or 10 years, kind of just dropped like that into became rather than, oh, that's a nice thing. And maybe we'll get there legislatively one day in a few years, it kind of became a necessity. And, um, mm. and I think that digital nature of most of our clients tended to, you know, for, for, I wouldn't say for all industries, but for most industries tended to do pretty well. Mm. And it seems like that digital transformation that you just described will outlive the pandemic. You know, there's there's probably no going back to the, the, the previous ways of working, ways of consuming um, and, and, and ways of living. Um, has it changed the way, the type of work that your agency does, because one of the things I've noticed about the PR industry, and I'm not talking about your your firm in, in particular, but the industry in general is, they may often work for these disruptive companies that are fueled by digital, but often the work that's done to um, to promote those companies can be quite traditional. Has that changed? I think like other things it may not be accelerating at the rate that i would love but um it's definitely on a on a pretty um you know rapid path and and i think you've you've identified something that is sort of um really critical to our industry and where it's at at the moment 
I think you're spot on. Um, the, there's still a lot of old school stuff that happens in our industry. And like, mm. yes, you can, you can look at software and, and technology and things like that. Also methods and channels and style of communication, hundred percent. Most, um, most agencies, most communicators are still doing the tried and, and true and tested methods. And look, there's a reason for that. You kind of, you, you know, what's worked in the past and it's easy to kind of fall back on that. I, I take this stuff for granted. I even, you know, we went on quite a, a rapid recruitment path last year and we're pretty you know, thankful to be able to do that. And there were people, um, you know, we have a pretty, uh, in my opinion, pretty impressive tech stack at the business and, uh, you know, really good mm. software and hardware and just technology that makes our lives a bit easier and where we can automate and make things efficient, we do. And we had someone join Sling and Stone and a few weeks in, I was checking in with them and saying, how's it going? How's your onboarding? How are you finding everything? And they said, oh, it's really good. I, I love the technology here. And I said, oh, well, what, what bit of technology specifically do you love? You know, like loving technology, you know, that's great. <laughs> Most people put up with it or kind of get a bit out of it. But, but to say you loved it, I was yeah. like, oh, that's, that's good to hear. Um, what are you, um, what in particular do you love about it? And, and she said to me, Oh, I love that um, I get to work on a laptop. <laughs> like I just, wow. I said, well, well, what were you working on at your prior agency? And they're like, oh, I sat down and they gave me a desktop computer. And I, uh, mm. my jaw nearly hit the floor, you know. Um, I won't name and shame, but like there's still stuff like that happening. And it's a li- like that yeah. take for granted, like working from a laptop. We thought that was, I thought that was normal literally 10 years ago when I started the agency. But there's um there's things like that where, you know, that's a really like, basic day-to-day example but it actually matters to how someone does their job and um Mm. i suspect given the remote work nature of a lot of agencies at the moment there probably aren't too many still stuck on desktops but um Mm. but you know that that i think is um the attitude we carry and i definitely think something that the industry can do a lot better at is and there's more and more you know you're covering more and more stories about you know comms tech and the kind of technology technological changes happening to the industry and i think there's there's a bit of that as well as just getting, you know, um, bolshier and broader about the channels we tell our stories in. Are you happy with the level of comms tech out there? There seems to be a fair amount of money uh, in that sector, um, a lot of consolidation as well. Um, other solutions that are out there kind of uh, in line with your expectations in terms of what's required? I think, yeah, look, I think um, I, I have ideas for, for other things that could be out there. I, I don't have the, the mm. time um, or the energy to like create them myself, but I, you know, I'd always love there to be more. Um, however, I'm, I'm pretty content with it. I think PR agencies don't just need to look at tech specifically built for the comms industry. I think also there's a lot of fantastic technology out there that some agencies are reluctant to use, but there's a lot of stuff that you can get off the shelf that you can then um, modify to your needs if you're willing to put a bit of time and money into it and um, that done mm. right can help everything from campaign management to measurement to um, to planning to forecasting to um, HR tools to everything and um, I, I'm generally happy but um, you know the more choice with software the better mm. presumably as a you know 60 person agency in three countries all quite far apart um, and of course, all, everyone remote working. I, I presume were you kind of already comfortable with remote working before 
before the pandemic? We always had a pretty, you know, um, comfortable attitude with that. We built on the cloud and on digital tools. Mm. And so for us, that, um, that, wasn't, that was a very, very easy shift to make. Um, we're actually mostly back in the office in, in Australia at the moment. Mm. So um, right. I, I do, you know, I think a big challenge for a lot of agency owners and management in the coming year or years will be um, managing hybrid teams and environments. Mm. I think that's going to be probably the next challenge we need to turn our attention to. I think fully remote or fully in office is super manageable mm. um, and we can kind of figure that out. But when you've got regularly hybrid teams, I think everyone talks about that at the moment as the future. Um, you know, there'll mm-hmm. be heaps of people in an office, there'll be some people remote, there'll be hubs, that, you know, there's different language being thrown around. Um, but the day-to-day realities of um, of hybrid teams is, you know, is is going to be a new challenge that I think a lot of our industry has to face. Yeah, there's a tech challenge, of course, as, as we've discussed. There's a, there's a challenge in terms of the, the different processes that are in place at an agency. But often I find that there's a challenge in terms of trust. Like, you know, I often see that agencies maybe just don't trust their people enough to... Um, to be comfortable with them working from outside the office. I mean, you talked about the desktop computer example. <laughs> that's uh, that's an example of that. I mean, how did how did you get comfortable with? I suppose letting go. Oh, my my bigger issue is is um, well, my issue is not letting go. My bigger issue is making sure people have work life balance and they don't. You know, when when mm. your spare room or your bedroom or your kitchen table becomes your desk, you don't have a separation from from um, home and work and I actually want people to have that separation and have a moment that is the end of the start and end of their work day and it's harder for people to do that so mm. I actually have the reverse problem where I need to make sure that um, our team knows when to switch off and, and rest I want I want a really well um, balanced team in that regard so I, I have full trust and faith in our team everyone that's mm. joined our agency has done it because of our focus and our passion and they're not um, they're not here to coast through anything so I'm not, you know, trust is not an issue for us. Mm. And the experiences of virtual working were there, I mean, aside from the, that kind of demarcation between work and life, which I think is really important, were there any other lessons that you learned from, from that experience that you'll perhaps carry forward with you? The, there, was, there were a couple of nice things. Um, one, one that springs to mind is that we have always tried to build a you know, one team, three doors approach where we are a, you know, a global agency. We're not a kind of you know, Sydney headquartered and then we have these mm. satellites around okay. the world. So like every year, yeah. for example, pre-pandemic, we, would, um, you know, we were flying in our teams from LA and Auckland uh, into Sydney and we were mm. doing an annual offsite with our entire company. So we were doing things like that to bring everyone together. Um, what the pandemic did was actually bring the entire global team together. It kind of broke down those, mm. just those sort of natural barriers that, that we definitely didn't put up but sort of exist. Um, it mm. broke them down and we started doing things like a, you know, a weekly or, or bi-weekly all hands, right? Where previously we'd have you know, an end of week meeting with our entire team in each market and the local country manager would run that. Um, we started doing it together as a global team and, um, and that, it's, it's a little shift, but, but it's something we've kept even as we've, you know, started to return to offices in Australia and New Zealand. And so that's a nice thing. I think it, um, and I, I suspect a lot of other agencies are in this boat as well, where it probably broke down a lot of barriers and there's, there's a lot, there's been, um, you know, much bigger agencies than ours that have, you know, had the challenge of how do you get teams across borders or across markets, um, collaborating better. I think this probably 
made that you know made that a lot easier mm. and a lot more man it just kind of made collaboration simpler because everyone's a zoom call away um or a hangout mm. call away so um it's it just made that natural and i think that that ethos and that some of the some of the kind of processes that that would have come with that can can stick with us for a long time to come mm-hmm. so benefits in terms of culture and collaboration how have you found the, the creative process um yeah. in this kind of virtual <laughs> and hybrid model and have there been any positives yeah look i i thought this would be really hard um mm. and and not to say it's been easy i i like you know there's um, there are some good tools that make this better. Like I was talking to a company out of France called um, Klaxoon the other day, where it creates these like virtual uh, whiteboard and meeting and brainstorming. Yeah. yeah, and like so like, this uh, Miro. Yeah, Miro is one of them as well. So there's tools yeah. like that 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 can work. Um, but you know, we had uh, in the in the height of lockdown in Australia, where it was like you know proper proper lockdown. Um, mm-hmm. Earlier, uh, it was probably we're talking April, May last year. We had a big. I, can't, I unfortunately can't name the the client that we won, but we were invited to a big pitch that was very creative led. It was not. Um, there were you know like broader advertising and creative agencies in part of the, in the pitch process too. It wasn't just going up against um, usual PR competitors. So um, it was a big, you know, a pretty big pitch for us, and um, and it stretched us outside of our um, outside of our you know normal way of thinking and we the team um, you know brainstormed collaborated pitched and finally won that client all fully remote and that was um that was that to me made me realize that it can be done it takes a lot of work it's not easy but um, the team's ability to do that was really impressive and 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 I see that I think also for some you know in that situation I mean we're still a small agency like we're just getting started we you know it's been a great 10 years of growth but we're 60 people we're a a minnow compared to most um, globals and there are situations where clients are you know probably walked into a big creative agency foyer and they're very you know wooed and impressed by Mm. you know a massive trophy cabinet or like whatever it is right there's still natural human things that go on in a pitch process um, I, mm-hmm. I believe I was thinking about this last year a bit, and I think for uh, for challenger agencies like ours, the the mm-hmm. virtual pitching can be a bit of an equalizer. Um, yes, you know we're one of yes. the bigger ones in the bigger agencies in Australia now, but um, mm-hmm. but on a global scale, we we have a lot more growth. And and like if you're a client and you've got agencies pitching, well, it, it kind of takes away some of the like the veneer of of, mm-hmm. of in the pitch process and, and really gets it down to people, um, ideas and strategy. And what, and that, and that ultimately is what pitches should be measured on, I think. And, um, and I think that happened and that may, you know, I don't know how those processes will change when the world starts returning to normal in different markets, but I think that that, that was a really good thing overall. Mm. Yeah. I've heard that too. It's kind of democratized the Mm. pitching process somewhat so that, you know the agency that might have had an inside track before yeah uh, becomes less easy to favor i suppose the question as you put it is do you think that kind of benefit will persist uh, or will we just go back to the previous way of doing thing you know doing things with you know the pitch in the room and mm. 
uh, the reception. Yeah. That. Well, I mean, even if you just take that, take it away from that and take it to broader business meetings. I mean, we were talking before mm. we started this about about conferences and the, and the fact that the lines are somehow still happening. But I think um, I think the you know the the we've all been in that moment where you're on a plane somewhere and you talk to someone you know waiting in a lounge or sitting on the plane who's wearing a suit and you're like well, <laughs> first of all I wonder why you're wearing a suit on the plane can't you change on the other end mm. um, but you kind of talk to people and, and they say oh yeah I'm flying I'm on this you know 12 hour international flight I've got a couple of meetings then I'm turning around but literally one or two meetings and I think that will be that will mm. be over like that type of yeah. discovery both on client and agency side and just in business meetings in general will probably be gone I think you know people will be a bit more reasonable about travel and travel budgets um and you know i think that along with some other you know it's been long enough that habits have changed um we've seen pitches that um that were in australia now where you know people are in offices and you can um you know you can meet with people physically that are still running them over zoom because they're just used to it now <laughs> mm. do you find it helps with your own teams as well are people maybe feeling like their ideas are being listened to more than um, than previous. It's another thing I've heard. I like to think we've always had. I mean, we have a very flat structure and a very um, mm. very. I mean, I started the agency when I was stupidly young, and so like from the get go, I was I had this mindset and this attitude of uh, you know like it wasn't about tenure or about seniority, you know, in terms of where mm. ideas come from. So we've always built a culture around anyone can contribute, anyone can come up with great ideas. It might be, um, you know, even if you're receptive to it, it might be still harder for a graduate or a junior PR professional to, to voice up, you know, speak their mind and, and you know, have their voice be heard um, in, a, in a normal physical environment. So maybe the virtual world does make that easier, especially for, mm. for younger people who've grown up with the internet. So I think that that, that could be a really good benefit um, in terms of, I mean, to use the word you use, democratization, but also, um, you know, the ultimately you want ideas from all over your business and you want input from everywhere. And uh, it can certainly heighten that. Mm. So Vicky Sling and Stone, as you mentioned, is now one of the bigger Australian agencies. Um, you've done incredibly well. Agency of the Year, um, really been a star performer, I guess, over the past decade. There must be interest from potential acquirers. Uh, what's the plan and how important is it for you to remain independent? For us, working on our purpose and our mission is the most important thing. I don't think it... Um you know, we've always been friendly with other agencies and had, you know, loose partnerships and we work well with other agencies around the world. So um, for us, it's not um, it's not about that. It's more about can we keep achieving our mission and, and getting better at that and getting bigger at that. Like I'm not trying to build the, the biggest agency in the world, but I am trying to build the best agency in the world for a certain type of brand. And, and mm -hmm. that's ambitious, um, but it is also still focused in terms of, we don't want to be all things to all people. I don't want to be working on every single client that comes our way. I just want to work on, on, on for us, it's ambitious brands shaping the future. So the, the, the category definers, the ones that create an entirely new way of doing things. And, um, and try, we're trying to build the best at that. So as long as we can, and, and, you know, like we are, um, as I said earlier, we're just getting started. We both in terms of geography and services, we have a long way to, to go. Um, I would love to be in more markets. Um, we have to 
you know, take our time with that. I don't, um, you know, we're not, um, I, I don't have jet fuel to apply to those ambitions, but, um, you know, we are looking at hopefully opening a Singapore office soon and, uh, and looking at other mm. areas of expansion. So, you know, we would love to, uh, love to be in more places around the world. We have clients already kind of pulling us into those markets. So um, we have leads coming our way that want us to represent them in the UK and Europe. And currently I just, you know, mm -hmm. I can't do that. And I, I won't be able to do it in the next, you know, um, in the next quarter or two. But, um, you know, having geographic expansion ambitions is definitely a big part of, of when we look to the future, what we see in that path. Um, mm -hmm. And services as well. You know, we've rapidly expanded the services we offer to our clients in recent years but you know we're, we're scratching the surface of that and um and we want to get better and broader about this the types of stories we can tell for our clients and um and yeah like we you know we've got a lot of partners along the way that help us do that and we're always looking for more so uh, we're, we're friendly with others and, and we get along well with <laughs> with um friends mm. yeah there used to be a school of thought that expansion um geographic or service uh, level could could only be fueled by um, the kind of capital provided by a holding group, but of course now holding groups have have largely stopped acquiring PR firms. Um, you know, I, I suppose in terms of your aspirations, being independent really is no barrier. Yeah. In fact, it may even help. Yeah. Look, it's not really what drives our. Um our ambitions certainly if we had capital we could open more offices faster like if, if we you know if we mm -hmm. wanted to go and raise some money and uh use that to um to open a bunch more offices quickly more you know more quicker than we otherwise would that's certainly an option for us um mm -hmm. and i can't pretend it's not something i've considered but mm -hmm. right now we're pretty comfortable with our situation and our path and our plan um, at least for 2021 and we'll, we'll see where it goes like we you're right like we've always you know we've talked to a lot of people over the years we um, there's some great conversations but we'll, right now we're we're kind of pretty heads down and focused on what we're doing and and for us at the moment the biggest the biggest challenge is just recruiting as fast as we can to service the demand which is a really good situation to be in but um, nonetheless it does require all our attention and focus bring, making sure we bring in the right people and the right teammates mm. I suppose there is um, always interest nowadays from independent agencies who are now the biggest acquirers. So independents buying other independents. Yeah. Of course, there's a lot of PE money as well. Yeah. Um, which is somewhat attractive, but comes with strings attached, no doubt. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really good things about our industry. Like, I think there's reasons investors like it. Um, it's mm. it's stable um, in the sense that. You, you know, you saw, I think on the whole, probably PR agencies compared to other, um, definitely other marketing services, but also other professional services um, in 2020 and in, in what the world, you know, had to face, um, we tended to fare pretty well. You know, we, we had a really good year, a really good growth year. Um, but even, you know, even others that didn't do quite so well still had pretty good years. And, um, and I think that, that that looks good. That has to look good to, you know, a whole bunch of investors with, with money and in a, in a low interest rate world um, looking for good places to put that money. So I think that that may mm. fuel some of it. There's also still, um, you know, we're still an industry that is um, partially, if not largely, um, you know, the, there's a lot of retainers still, right? So that, yep. that's the security and the safety of, of that is something that has served our industry really well 
um, there's pros and cons to that, but they, um, but you know, I, I, I'm not an investor, but I think our industry looks pretty good if, if, if I was one. Mm. So from our perspective, um, what has kind of set Sling and Stone apart over the last decade uh, has been the agency culture. Mm. Um, your firm has won Best Agency to Work for in Asia Pacific mm. numerous times. What do you think Sling and Stone did differently compared to the Australian agency market that helped it to succeed? I think it was, um, it's kind of something I spoke about at the beginning, but it's that, that focus mm. and that pickiness. It's, um, it, it really comes mm. back to figuring out what you care about, um, doubling down on that. And it's easy to say we're focused on this or we're passionate about that, um, but uh, it's harder to walk the walk. And so mm. even in um, the height of kind of panic last year, which I think I had some pretty dark days and weeks in late March or early April, and, I, and I'm sure everyone else did too to some extent. Um, and, and I didn't know how bad it was going to get, and I was pretty scared. <laughs> like there were, there were tough moments. Mm. Um, even in those moments where I didn't know what the future looked like, and, and we looked stable, but I still just, you know, the world was going a bit haywire. Um, mm -hmm. Even in those moments, we were politely declining clients that didn't fit our focus. And mm. the reason I think that matters is that you, uh, you know, you, you promise prospective talent uh, that your agency's focused on something. They get excited about that. They join your agency and and if you don't walk that walk, like if you say one thing, but your actions um, say another, then ultimately that's going to lead to a pretty, you know, at best a neutral place to work, but if not a miserable place to work. So I didn't want to, you know, from the get go, I didn't, I chose to build an agency that might not grow quite as fast as, as it otherwise could. Like we could be multiples bigger than we are today. We just did the count. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, there were 172 clients that came our way that we said no to. Now, that's that's like I could build an agency out of those clients if I had the time and the energy. Um, and mm. <laughs> and you know, for us, it's just doubling down on that passion. I think that's that's the the biggest part of what makes us a great place to work. We of course, mm. you know, look after our people. I care deeply about the happiness of our people. We're doing like, you know, fortnightly pulse checks to see, just see how happy people are and and make mm. sure they're doing okay. And you know, we we deeply care about that. Um, but but I think the best the best thing I can do for people is to give them awesome work to do and um, and make sure they get to do the best work of their careers here. And my bet 2010 when I started the agency and still my bet today in 2021 now um, is that the clients you represent matter. That that if you join Sling and Stone and suddenly start representing clients that don't fit our mission or our purpose or you know what I promised you would be the types of brands you'd get to work with. Um, that suddenly that start, stops being a great place to work. So that's the commitment I've made to people. And I think also it's what other agencies can learn from whether they're just starting out or evolving is um, sort of picking your lane. And it doesn't have to be a focus mm -hmm. on a certain type of client. It can be doing a certain type of work. It can be whatever, right? But um, but being not being a jack of all trades, I think is a really key one. And then where possible, mm -hmm. um, I think last year showed security, you know, security uh, for people is really important. It probably wouldn't have shown up in previous years, um, you know, awards for the whole industry because pretty much most of the Western world had extremely low unemployment for, for many, many years until last year. It was an employer, employee's mm -hmm. market and it wasn't, you know, like getting a job wasn't a challenge. Um, but there were layoffs last year broadly in our industry and 
Um, and I think sitting above even like having a nice place to work and having great clients and um, supportive people around you, like sitting above all that or below all that, if you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy, like whichever way you kind of look at it, but sitting more importantly than that is security. And so that's something that we were able to provide our team last year. And, and I think the agencies that did that will, will fare better in the coming years. Mm-hmm. So when you launched Sling & Stone, was there a specific gap in the market that you saw? 100% at the time, it was um, it was startups. So still a big mm. chunk of our work, right? It's not, as I said earlier, we still, we do work with the, you know, bigger clients that have um, a disruptive element to their business and are, and are still innovative and shaking things up. But early stage startups at the time was the biggest gap. Um, mm. I remember in the first year of the business, I walked into um, a small kind of like warehouse office in Surrey Hills in Sydney to meet uh, what was what became our second or third ever client. Someone had introduced me to them. I walked in, um, it was this company called Big Commerce. And it was like 12 or 13 people sitting around a few tables um, and they just raised $20 million. So <laughs> that office was going to grow pretty quickly. Uh, but it was a really small operation at the time. And it was enabling online retailers to, you know, to run their stores. And so it's the back end infrastructure between a lot of great retailers around the world. Um, but it was tiny and virtually unknown. And at the time, you know, before, before they started raising a lot of money, um, they were too small for, the, for every other agency that I saw around me. Like no one, no one knew how to do that kind of specialized work because I, I believe, I strongly believe it's different types of work, but also no one wanted mm. to because these clients were too small. So we were able to offer very small base. You know, I started the business with no, no capital really. Like we were tiny and uh, it wasn't, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was pretty much bootstrapped. Um, and so I was able to take on just fun, interesting clients that I loved that weren't necessarily big yet. Um, but you know, we, we, we hitched onto those rides and backed some of the right horses and big commerce IPO last year and is, um, worth, I don't know, 5 billion us dollars on the NASDAQ now. And, and that was an office that I walked into a very, very humble office. I walked into, you know, nine years ago. Um, I, so I think, you know, definitely an underserved market that we grew with. Like, I don't pretend like we didn't create this market, but we, picked it at the right time and rode that wave of growth and and that's that's been a big part of our success Mm. and if you were starting an agency today is there a gap in the market that um is worth looking at travel companies no (laughs) um uh no (laughs) well who knows possibly um i I, I, there's no one specific gap. I mean, I, you know, I would still, I, I, if I was starting one today, I'd still be in tech. I love technology mm. and it's still a big part of our client base. And it's, I think, where um, innovation will come from, not just this year, not just a pandemic or recession year, but it's where innovation and exciting things will come from in, you know, for many years to come. So technology broadly, I still think is underserved. Um, I don't mm. think there's enough people paying attention to the technology. Like it's clearly you know, more prominent than it was 10 years ago, but tech is still, you know, huge and critical um, to what our lives will, what our working lives and our personal lives will be like in the coming years. So I, I think it would still be something in that. Um, but in general, my, my main thesis would be if I was starting anything again, would be to be focused. I think there's too many businesses, even outside of PR agencies, there's too many businesses that try to be everything to all people. And mm. um, 
I would rather go to the cafe that specializes in a certain type of coffee that I love. And I know that that would attract a lot of other people like me rather than just mm. one of one of 20 cafes on, on the same street. So I think specialization and focus in general in business is, is a really good thing. It's artisan PR. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Vuki, thank you so much um, for your time today and wishing you all the best for the year ahead. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Arun. You too. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.